So my name's Tony Dentman. I work at the church, young adults and college students. Uh, Pastor D, Derek, and Luke are out for the day, uh, preparing for the rest of the year, sermon prep, and the vision for the church, and also speaking at other um, host churches. So y'all stuck with me today, man. Y'all stuck with me today. But I'm excited to be here today, and I'm excited y'all are here today. I get to talk about one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'm going to continue the sermon series of Psalms. And um, Derek talked about how the Psalms is really just a song in the Bible. And we're going to talk about one of the songs of David. Uh, he reminded us that a song is something, man, that you hear a beat drop. And some of y'all, man, you get feelings, you know, man, play a song from about five years ago. And you, you, you know where you were at when you first heard that song. You know, you nodding over there. I see, you know. Um, back in high school, I used to love me some Usher, y'all, man. You know, man, I used to love me some Usher. And he came out with a track in 04, and it was Confessions, y'all, man. And I wanted to play some of it, y'all, but maybe next service, you know. Uh, but I'm going to title the sermon series today, These Are My Confessions. And we're going to look at Psalms 51. So I'm going to flip to Psalms 51, get your Bibles, uh, whether it's your mobile device or the Bible. Uh, those who are able to stand, please stand uh, when you get the Word of God. So this is Psalms 51, and this is a song from David. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, and you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inner being, and, your, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me from my hyssop, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Rejo restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. Then I will tell transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from my blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing out loud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praises, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it, but you will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jericho. Then will you delight in right sacrifice and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God. And let us pray. Dear God, we just come to you today. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this confession from David. 
And God, I pray that you even speak through me. I pray that you even speak to me. And God, I pray that, man, that all of us with our hidden sins, God, that we bring it forth to you this service, God, and we lay it at the altar, God. God, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, I say the title of the sermon is These Confessions. So if you know the song, these are my confessions, just when I thought I said all I said. So, you know, man, maybe next, man. Um, I can't sing it all. My desire is being a worship one day, but um, with the crew back here. But I broke it out to three parts. And we're just going to look at Psalm 51. I'm going to label it, and I'm going to talk about the verse. Keep it simple, y'all. Um, so, and they all peace, very simple. So y'all to take notes, uh, systematic. That's how your boy roll. So the first one we're going to break down is personhood. We're going to be talking about that. Man, as you look at this confession, you see that the personhood of David is revealed. He said, man, this is me before the Lord. It's just him just saying, hey, I'm confessing who I am. And then the second one is the presence of God. So if you look at it, he said, man, God, your presence is holy and just. And do I sin before you, but also I need your presence to actually restore me. And then the third one is, it's the passion for others. And a lot of people don't understand that, man, as we confess our sin and really are forgiven for God, the, the response from the Holy Spirit is to go tell others about this amazing grace. So uh, we're going to break down the passage by those three um, sections right there, three focus. The first one, we're going to check out Psalms 51.3. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And we see that he said, I know my transgressions. And even when you look up transgression in the um, dictionary or the Gatorius, you see that transgression, as uh, Pastor uh, D talked to us last week, it's really just sinning, well, it's going against the law. Uh, we're choosing to say, hey, God, this is your way. You have made very clear we're supposed to do this, but I'm choosing to go my way and do what I want to do. So it's just, hey, it's just breaking the law, breaking the rules, doing what you're not supposed to do, choosing your way instead of God's way. And we see that in all of our lives, man. We see it in my own life. That the guy said, hey, the sex is supposed to be in the context of marriage. Um, and we choose, I choose to do it my way. You know, um, God has made me clear that lust is supposed to be uh, something that's not supposed to be inside of us. But we choose to lust and we choose to click on things we ain't supposed to. That God has made it clear that, man, we're not supposed to worship money. But we live our daily lives as if money is the number one thing um, in the world, in a sense. So we look at this, uh, and we see that the personhood of David is revealed. But even a little context of the passage uh, to even make it even more clear. So we got David, who's chilling on his roof. You know, we got King David, uh, one of the greatest warriors of all time, one of the greatest kings of all time, just chilling and relaxing, y'all. Uh, supposed to be out in war, supposed to be on the battlefield, um, but he's chilling, relaxing. A war is going on, and you got your king at home just relaxing. He look over couple of houses down, see his beautiful lady bathing on the roof. And he's like, oh, man, that's some good stuff over there. He sent one of his servants to go bring her over, have sex with her. And many people say, as you look at this, you got a king who really gave her no option. And he basically raped her in a sense. He would have been the poster child of the Me Too movement back in the day, y'all. Um, and then he got her knocked up, pregnant. And she got pregnant, y'all. And he tried to cover up his sins. He tried to cover up his mistakes. So her husband is fighting on the battlefield, and he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And David said, hey, send a message to him to come back home. Have sex with her. We can cover up the sin. Won't nobody know that's my baby and not his baby if he has sex with him. 
the dude is a righteous and holy man who sleeps on the front porch of David's own palace. And he said, man, I'm not going home to be with my wife. The war is going on. I'm a loyal man. I'm supposed to be fighting. He don't go see his wife. He don't hang out with her, don't have sex with her. David got to cover it up some more. So David said, hey, man, he called one of his sergeants. He said, I need this guy to be in the front lines of the army in the war, guaranteeing that he's basically going to get killed. Um, Put him on the front lines. Our guy is murdered on the front lines. Um, And to cover it up even more, David hurried up and married her. So the timeline, because he was stretched out to make it look like he was his baby. Uh, David, historically say, hey, this happened for about six to a, a year in light of the time that the man had died and he got married. It went about six months before David really even repented. And God sent a messenger into his life, uh, Nathan. And Nathan came to his life with a message from the um, God, and David repented and turned from the Lord. And Psalms 51 is our results from that confession. So we see that David knew that he was a transgressor of the God law. He started to realize his personhood and all the good stuff. But if we keep looking at 51, and you scroll down to verse 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When I look at that, I'm reading and I'm like, man, David tripping. Like, this dude basically raped a woman. This dude killed her husband. He didn't know got his messenger involved to go get her. He got his, his sergeant involved in putting this dude on the front line. He's the king of a nation and really just breaking the law of the nation. Like, he sinned against everybody. Like, I'm from like everybody. And we see right here, he say, against you, God, and only you have our sin. I'm like, how are you going to say that? Like, he's trying to get off the loose at all he did wrong. And as you really just think about it, that God is the creator of the law, that God is the ultimate judge, that, man, every time that I sin, man, it's the direct spit in the face, slap in the face to God himself. And that, that's higher than anything I can do for anybody else because sin only exists because of who God is and, and he created the law. And David understood that, and that's what makes this confession so deep. Scroll down to verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Some people look at this and say, hey, man, David, mama had him out of wedlock. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, she conceived me in sin. Uh, but I mean, if we really dig into it, you, you know the history and you know the Bible. David, mama was a, a godly religious woman. And David was like the youngest of the, of the crew. And his brothers, I mean, they always brought forth in, in, in marriage. So it wasn't out of wedlock. We got a godly woman and a, and a godly father, Jesse, his pops. Godly people brought him forth. So he's not talking about the sins of his, his parents. He's talking about the sins of himself. He's saying that, man, that when I was born, I was a sinner. But even before I was actually born, that even in conception, I was a sinner, y'all. And he's not saying, oh, God, man, I was born this way. I'm messed up. I'm just, uh, I just like me some women. You know what I mean? Now, he's, he's not writing that off as an excuse. He's going back to the root of the real issue, the nature of who he is. And he's saying, God, I'm guilty from the start. It's not just the fact that I, I sinned with Bathsheba. It's not the fact that I killed her husband. It's like, God, there's something deep down inside of me that runs and wander away from you and really just transgression against you. Um, so we got to understand that. It ain't, he's not talking about his mother. He's talking about the core of who he is. We look at the personhood of David, and he's saying, man, once I really confess who I truly am, it leads me to go look for something outside of myself. And that's where we see the presence of God in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Hyssop, I had no clue what it was about a week ago. Um, I couldn't even say the word a week ago, y'all, man. I practiced on When I was reading it, I got, I said Hyssop, right, y'all? But I was like, yeah, I'm good to go, y'all, man. So uh, Hyssop, as I started studying, back in the old days, the priest would come into a house that, that had uh, leprosy, that had some kind of cancer, some kind of diseases inside the house, and they'll take hyssop, dipping in some um, animal blood, and they would walk through the house and pray over the house and cleanse the house. And David said, man, that God, I'm dirty, that I have a cancer-type disease inside of me, and I need you to cleanse me. I need you to make me clean. Um, and we see that over. And he's saying, only God can do that. Make me whiter than snow. I mean, it's just, it's just a picture of of perfection, this is a cleansliness. We see snow a lot, so y'all know what it's like when it first get down, but like three weeks later, it's the dirtiest stuff in the world, but we're talking about that fresh snow, you know. Um, verse eight, let me hear joy and gladness. Let me hear joy and gladness. David wrote that because of man. In that season where he was unrepentant, they say maybe six months to a year uh, after he sinned against the Lord and he just continued on his life and just act like it didn't happen. There is a reality in my own life, y'all, that I, I, I and I, with my brothers and sisters, when we fellowshipping, that conscience is real, and God has put that Holy Spirit in those who truly are Christians, man, it wear and tear on you. Man, the, the joy is gone, um, the gladness is gone. You can, I, I, I can hang out with my dudes, my accountability dudes, and you can, you can tell, you hang out with them, and you know if they live in the sin. They have no joy, they have no gladness. The things of the world is just dark. Their, their relationship with God is dark. And David was going through that drought right there. It wasn't the fact that God was distant. It was the fact that, man, that he felt God was distant because of, he knew that sin. Um, and it's, it's the same thing in my marriage. Like, man, I'll do something wrong, and I'll try to cover it up and don't say nothing. And until we come back together and confess that, man, I did wrong and I'm guilty, that's when we come back together. We always say, hey, things got to get bad before it get good. But that's what God is saying, man. You got to come to me. You got to confess this stuff. Because it's acting like it didn't exist, only going to keep us distant. But one of my, my favorite parts right here, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. David ain't get beat up. Like, David bones was good. Physically, David, I and mean, we don't know nothing about David bones being broken, y'all. And I was just thinking, man, the best picture I got is a, a little story in my life, man. Man, growing up, I got made fun of a lot, y'all, man. My mom used to tell me when I grew up, my head was going to get bigger, so my big teeth wouldn't stand out so much, y'all, man. They used to call me Bugs Bunny growing up all the time, y'all, man. Um, it traumatized that brother, man. But even more than that, my teeth literally was big. Like, my front teeth, like, for real. And then my jaw kind of stuck out, too, even more as a little kid. And I used to hit my teeth on everything, y'all, man. Like, no joke. These two front teeth right here, half of both of them gone. Like, I chipped them at least four times each. Like, no joke. Half of it is because my mama sent me to this horse doctor, a fake doctor. That cat was not real because I don't know what he was doing. The dentist um, put this fake teeth in my mouth, and I'd be out playing basketball, running to somebody, and my teeth rolling on the floor. So you're playing basketball. It's normal to look for somebody's earring, right? You know, it's normal now to look for somebody's contact. Growing up, it was always looking for Tony Tooth, man. It was like, man, <laughs> embarrassing as all get out, y'all. So this year, it was like, man, I'm growing up, man. I got a little money now, you know, man. I'm going to go get braces, y'all, man. So back in December, uh, go to the dentist, and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to get braces. I got Invisalign to take it off. I can't really talk that smooth with my, my Invisalign in, you know. And, and she come up and she's like, hey, Tony, your front teeth ain't really that big. It's really that the other teeth so small. So we just got it all going to move things around, even bring one that's on the side, make it a little bigger and all that. But the real problem, it ain't, it ain't your front tooth, Tony. It's your jaw. 
And she's like, man, when you eat food, do you like bite your tongue often? Bite the inside of your mouth? It's like, yeah. It's like, I'm eating a burger. I'm eating my, my lip too, man. It's like, man, I be biting every day, y'all, man. Like, no joke. Uh, and she was like, it's because your jaw is so off line that we're going to have to fix that. I was like, oh, that's cool. That's like what it takes. She said, well, we got to do a scan to really find out how bad it really is. Because if it's really bad, we're going to have to break your jaw. And I'm like, what? Like, hold on now. I'm just trying to get my teeth fixed, though. You know what I mean? Like, throw me some, some white on there and just fix my teeth, and I'm good to go. I keep biting my mouth. We ain't got to break nothing. Forget that. Um, and she's like, the only way to correct this if we break your jaw. But we do a scan, and we'll find out if we need to. I'm like, oh, no, forget that. Um, but that brings me back to this passage right here that he said, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And that's what God does, man. He breaks us so he can correct us. Uh, just like the dentist was saying, man, that she got to break my jaw and like even think, get things right. And, man, that God is going through. If he loves you and, and you are his child, that he will break you in order to correct you. And David knows that, and he's rejoicing in that. He's rejoicing in the fact that God sent Nathan into the house and they broke him, you know. He's rejoicing in, in the things, that even some of the consequences in the sin because the man is going to correct him to walk with the Lord. So, um, so that's beautiful right there. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew the right spirit within me. David knew just like when he became a Christian, it was all God. And those who are Christian in this room is going to be all God to get you on the, on the, the renewed heart. Uh, the church is called renewal. Unless God do this, y'all, then, then we, all, we all playing around. We just singing songs. Unless the Lord works and renew this, then... Um, it's all in vain. David knew that. He said, create in me a new heart. 11, cast me not away from your presence. There is a reality that sin should bring some kind of shame when we're standing before the Lord, and we know that we're guilty. And David is begging God, hey, do not kick me out of your presence. I deserve to go to hell for my sin. Christians understand that. It's like, man, that's, that's the beginning step of Christianity. Like, I deserve to burn for eternity because I sin against a holy and just God who created me for a loving relationship. And David's saying, God, please do not, do not kick me out of your presence. Man, I want to be with you. I need you. Um, verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. If we really want to get to hearts of the sins that, that I struggle with and we struggle with in this room, it's rooted in the fact of, that verse right there. It's not, it's not that that woman on that, that, that building that he looked at was just so beautiful. I mean, he was the king. He could have probably found a more beautiful woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, King David, he had any option, literally. Um, it's, it's not that, that, that the things that we, our idols in our life are just so amazing. It's really the fact that we lost our joy in God himself. And he's begging for him to restore that joy that that was there. I remember when I first became a Christian, you know, my freshman year of college, I couldn't stop reading the Bible, y'all. Like, I was like that Jesus freak, y'all, man. Like, like, your boy used to walk around with the Christian t-shirts on. Like, I, I, I used, they used to think I was crazy. I'd be walking and praying. Like, like, I was, even to the point that I was like, man, I want my faith to grow. I want to be like Paul when I grow up, you know, man. I was a dude that'd be praying and drive with his eyes closed, you know, man. You know, that's dangerous. But I was like, God, I want my faith to be, I want my faith to grow. I was like a fanatic for Jesus when I first became a Christian. And then over time, I started getting content with it, you know what I mean? And David is saying, hey, 
Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And we all know in the early stages, man, when you really became a Christian, man, that joy that you felt, that was because, man, I was just so in love with God. And he's begging for that over and over and over and over. So that's the presence of the Lord. David understands that, man, that he don't deserve to be in God's presence, but he needs God's presence. Uh, He understands even uh, John 15, that abiding is Christ. That's the only way to bear fruit, that being around God himself, being in the presence of God is the only way to produce anything. Verse 13, we're going to go into the passion for others. And I think this week, y'all, this is, this is my moneymaker, man. I'm all about evangelism, so you're going to find it in every time I'm talking. But then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Maybe if you jump down to 15, oh, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praises. That once you truly do embrace the fact that, man, that you are not worthy uh, of God himself, but you embrace the fact that the presence of the Lord wants to be with you and loves you on an intimate and personal level, the only response is, man, to go tell other people about this. Uh, and David understood it. He said, man, I will go tell transgressors to return to you. Uh, he's confessing, man, I haven't been doing it. And the reality of it is, man, he actually, while he was sinning, he was turning people away from God. Like, he's the king, the man at the God's own heart is sinning against all these people. And people are like, oh, man, if he go that way, I go that way. Uh, if he like that, then God must not care too much. And he said, man, then I will go back and rejoice about the goodness of God to other people. Man, I care about their state of being. I want them to experience what I'm experiencing. Uh, so we got the personhood is revealed. Man, who am I really before the Lord? The presence of God is revealed, man, that, that man, God really do want to be with us, and he's our only real solution. And then we start having uh, a heart for other people. Jesus brought it home in Luke 7, and we got Jesus sitting with the Pharisees, and it's pretty cool. You got the Pharisees, the religious men, invite Jesus to his house. They chilling at the table. They sitting in the little living room. Uh, I guess they reading the Old Testament, and a sinful woman just run into the house. Uh, she get on the floor at the feet of Jesus. She's crying and she's weeping. She brings her perfume, and these guys just chilling. And then you got a woman here just on the knees, on the, just just praying and weeping and thanking God and crying. And, and Jesus said this right here, because Simon, the Pharisee, said, man, if Jesus, he said it in his mind, you know, Jesus, you know, read your mind too. He said, he say, if this man really knew who this woman was, he wouldn't allow this. And Jesus responded with this right here. Verse 41, a certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 Denarius, and the other one, Fiddy, five zero. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them loves him more? Simon, the Pharisee, answered. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the largest debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, you judge rightly. This sinful woman, they say she may have been a prostitute, maybe an adulterous woman, uh, the rest of the world, the rest of the city, all the people knew that, man, she's a guilty and dirty sinner. And do she comes to the presence of the Lord, and this is how he responds, that the person who has been forgiven much loves much. Uh, so 
is not the fact that, man, even her sins was greater than the Pharisee, even though Jesus kind of threw her on the bus. If you kind of look at um, 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, and I'm like, dang, Jesus throwing me on the bus and brought all these people. <laughs> he say, her sins, which are many, um, all of that to say, man, David understood before the Lord, man, my sins are out this world. But because he understood that, he understood that God has forgiven him for all those sins. And do his love for God only increase. There's many of us that come into this room, and then me, most of my life growing up in a Christian household and a, and a church, I just come to Sunday and do it. It was the last place I wanted to be, but it was a checklist of things I had to do. And I think it was just like the Pharisee. Because the cool part is the Pharisees was hanging out with Jesus, y'all. Like these ain't the dudes who was like, forget Jesus, I want to kill that cat. They invite him to his house. Like, let's talk, let's chill. But their horse was still far. Like, they were still concerned about other people's sins, and they wasn't really concerned about their own sin. Um, they're sitting in the presence of the living God, and, dude, they're still distant from him. I think that would be true for a lot of people in the Christian church today. But this woman left saved and forgiven by God himself. And it connects it to a story of why this passage of the sinful woman in Psalms 51 is so um, amazing to me. I think about my, my junior year. The God saved me my freshman year, and he did some amazing works of just growing me up to be um, a godly man in college. I mean, I was leading the college ministry. Um, I was the poster child of Christianity at my university. Um, and, dude, before I became a Christian, my biggest idol was women and sex, like hands down. I tell people I knew I was going to hell if God just judged me in that category. And he didn't have to ask about nothing else. He didn't say, did you obey your parent? Don't worry about that. How you treat women, you're going straight to hell, Tony. And I knew that. And I remember turning to Jesus my freshman year. And I had a girlfriend at the time. And we trying to do this Jesus stuff, but keep falling into sin. Trying to do this Jesus stuff, keep falling into sin. Six months later, we ended up breaking up. Um, I also told her I was thinking about being a missionary in Africa. And she wanted nothing to do with that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Got too Jesus freaky on her. Uh, you know, so. Uh, and then I decided, six months after becoming a Christian, breaking it off with my girlfriend, that, hey, I need to reset my, my walk with God because women are an idol to me. So I went a year and a half, no date, no relationship. And I, before that, 10 years, but I literally had a girlfriend all my life. So that was my idol for real. A year and a half was a lot for a brother. Some of y'all like, that ain't nothing. A lot for money. And then my junior year, leading the ministry, representing God himself. Uh, cute little lady stayed at dorm above me uh, on a different floor. Uh, we started having gospel conversation, having Bible studies in her room and all the good stuff. And one night she stayed in my room. And I'm like, damn, it's about to get real. Oh, my Lord, this is a real test right here. Um, not for him, just an earthly test. And I'm like, bet, got this. I'm going to sleep on my food time. You know what I'm saying? She can hide in bed. Your boy got food time. Woke up in the morning, and I was like, dang, this Jesus stuff is real. Like, for, it's working. Like, it's working. Like, dang, that's what's up. Happened over and over, happened again. I'm like, dude, I'm a changed man. Like, for real. I'm thinking it, but I ain't doing nothing. Like, praise God. Oh, my gosh. Sooner or later, I fell into sin. Like, we end up sleeping around. And, dude, at that moment, I started thinking, like, oh, my gosh, man. I have literally sinned against God. And, and, and that's an that's a evidence of being a Christian. But, dude, I walked in and sin for a while. Most of the people, I say, hey, I did it one time. Now, that's a lie. I mean, sometimes we confess our sin and be like, oh, man, I did it one time. I slipped. I fell. And I think that's the excuse. 
No, I chose to disobey God and ran a completely different direction that he was telling me to go. And I remember coming to the guy who was discipling me, and, and I confessed my sin, and it was eating me alive. I remember getting to the point that's like, dude, I got to transfer. I got to get out of here. Like, dude, man, forget about telling anybody. I'm just going to leave this deal, and I can just reset my life. Because, man, if I come out, everybody going to know that, dude, I'm going to screw up. Um, I don't remember going to the guy who discipled me and said, hey, I'm guilty as charged, man. Um, I failed. And he's like, man, I love you, and I need to remind you that God loves you. Your summer opportunities and your leadership stuff, we're going to have to consider that and, and remove that, and it's just not best for you to walk in this as you need to be healed from the Lord. But, man, Tony, never forget that God loves you. And he gave me this passage of Psalms 51. And, dude, it did something to me. It reminded me that, man, my salvation was all about God. And, dude, that I fell out of love with my first love, and I started falling in love with all these other earthly things uh, other than God himself. And I think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we look at David's life. David sinned, had sex with Bathsheba. She got pregnant, and God told him that baby was going to die. So the baby didn't even make it out. And I remember, they, they say, well, First Samuel, David is weeping and crying and begging God not to kill the baby. And God killed the baby anyway, or the baby died. You can put it on how you want to put it. And, and he weeps and he cries. Because of David's sin, it brought death to his family. Even if you study scripture, God say, hey, your family is going to hate each other and they're going to fight against each other. So the kingdom of God even split because of his actions. But a beautiful thing, Bathsheba and David had another kid, Solomon. Another king after God's people. And if you look through the lineage of Solomon, it birthed Jesus Christ. And God had a plan, and he redeemed David's actions, that he played it all out, that our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, came through David and Bathsheba, one of the greatest sinful acts in the Bible. And God had a plan, and he loved him. And the cool thing, when David doggone died, and he's sitting in the room with his, his guys, he said, be courageous and obey God. That was the last thing he said to his, uh, his kids. The sinful woman walks into the room, judged by everybody, guilty as charged. And, dude, she leaves forgiven and loved by God. And do my own personal story, y'all. Man, I'm telling y'all that Jesus Christ, and I believe this. They say the early church believed this more than anybody, and I believe this to this day, that if I literally was the only person in the world and I was in the act of sinning with that woman, Jesus knew that, and he would have died on the cross for me. And that blows my mind. That gives me chills to really even think about it. That's Christianity. It's not that you're just a sinful person and, and, and you're separated with God for your sin. It's the fact that God knew that, and he died on the cross to reunite you. And just like my relationship with my wife, the facts don't change that God died on the cross. The only thing is, is man, if I'm willing to confess and come to him. And David teaches us how to do that. And as I close out... Um, the sermon, man. I just want to challenge everybody. Before we even enter into our next section, I say, man, just sit back and be honest with the Lord and, and come clean to him. He say, I do not desire sacrifices. He's not saying go out of this room and go in here and share with the little homeless person on the street. He's not saying go out of this room and start your Bible study at your workplace. He said, I do not desire sacrifice. Desire a broken and contrite heart. And that's how he um, finished off Psalms 51. That man, I beg every last one of us, man, to go to the Lord and to throw it all on the altar. Uh, for those in the room who aren't Christians, man, we got an amazing God who loved you. He created you to have a relationship with you, and he knew you was going to screw up. 
But the amazing, amazing thing about it, he did something about it, and he gave his life. Um, so for those who are Christian in the room, I challenge you, man, to come clean to God today and let your relationship with God go to a deeper and more amazing level. Um, and those who say, hey, man, I just came clean this morning, Tony. Thank you for reminding me. I'm telling you, man, there's other people out in this world who have no clue who Jesus Christ is, who are living under that weight of sin. And, dude, we are called to go and tell them that there's a guy who did something about it. So I'm going to pray and close this out. But before I pray, let's all pray in silence, talk to the Lord, and then I'll, then I'll close this out. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your amazing grace, God. And we thank you for the fact that you love us uh, despite our sins, that you love us despite our failures, that you created a way back to you. And God, I pray that we be honest and throw all of our, our lies, um, we throw all of our sins, we throw it all at the altar, God, and accept your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Every Sunday, we get an opportunity to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, the night that he was betrayed, he sat down with the disciples at the Last Supper, y'all. And he said, this is my body and this is my blood. And I'm asking y'all to, to eat it and drink it and remember to me. I think about um, Matthew 6. He say, Jesus had many disciples with him. And he turned to him. He said, hey, in order to to take this to the next level, y'all. You got to eat and drink my blood. And it said many disciples turned away because it was confusing. And he turned to his disciples and they said, hey, do you want to leave too? He turned to Peter. He turned to John. He said, do you want to leave too? And they said this back to Jesus. To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's what I'm saying today, y'all. This is an opportunity to say, God, I'm guilty. I don't understand all this stuff. I don't even understand myself half the time. But God, I'm saying, hey, I want to be with you. Forgive me for what I've done, but also lead me closer to you.